unabashed. The most unpredictable becomes a headline. The most volatile outrageous behavior. Unsubstantiated narratives. A battle of personalities. Welcome to Grand Tamasha. I'm your host, Milan Vaishnav of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. In season one of the podcast, I had the chance to speak with the journalist Snigda Poonam of the Hindustan Times about her stellar and somewhat scary book on India's youth called Dreamers, How Young Indians Are Changing Their World. This week on the podcast, we're bringing you another conversation I had recently with Snigda, but this time we talked about a reporting on the startling rise of truly outrageous scams across India. Through a series of eye-popping investigations, Snigda and our colleagues have mastered the art of exposing extraordinary scams involving ordinary people. They've uncovered call center scams, insurance scams, exam scams, fake job scams, and other scams that you probably didn't even know existed. As a national affairs reporter for HT, Snigda has an uncanny knack for getting deep inside the psyche of the Indian heartland. I spoke with Snigda about her journalistic exploits, the personal toll of investigative reporting, and what, in her view, is powering the proliferation of scams in the so-called New India. Here's our conversation recorded in the Hindustan Times studio in New Delhi from this past summer. Snigda, thanks for coming back to the show. Thank you. So as a national affairs reporter for the Hindustan Times, you have mastered the art of exposing extraordinary scams involving ordinary people in India. You have uncovered call center scams, insurance scams, exam scams, fake job scams, probably a dozen other scams that I can't even remember. This is also something that was an incredibly unique feature of your first book, Dreamers, How Young Indians Are Changing the World. You've had a chance already on this podcast to talk about that book, but I want to focus today on some of your reporting subsequent to the book coming out. Um, But I want to start by asking you kind of about method. You know, how does someone like yourself, who's a journalist who's based in Delhi for a national newspaper, an English daily, become an expert at the art of digging out these scams in the first place? Well, I reported my first big investigative piece on scams for HT in 2016. It was on, um, it exposed a big tech support scam. Um, I'm sure you know what tech support scam is for those who don't know. Um, it's a, it's kind of unique scam that originates in India and affects mostly only English speaking people everywhere in the world, but mainly rich countries, US, UK, Australia, Canada. Um, and since I exposed that, along with colleague Samrat Bansal. People write to me from everywhere, from, you know, American Midwest to rural England. I received a letter from, an email from someone in rural England yesterday. Um, and so once I did that, the, like the, the email just like started pouring in from scammers, but also people who were affected. And and that process has just been endless. And then I wrote about job scams. And now I get leads from people who've been scammers themselves or presently scammers or people who've been scammed. Um, it's the same thing with like, say, education degree scams or certificate scams. Um, so you uncovered this tech scam, you wrote about it, and then people from the American Midwest and rural England are calling you and emailing you to tell you about other scams? They're, 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 they're being scammed. Um, by the people that I wrote about. So like someone in rural England wrote to me yesterday and he said that he received a call from someone posing as a Microsoft executive and he figured out immediately because he had read my piece that it was it was someone, it was a scam. So he asks this young man on the phone, I know who you are, why are you doing this? I know like, that you are a scammer. And this guy says on the other line of, other end of the line, some, somewhere from Gurgaon or Noida, this guy says that I am doing this because... And this may not be true, or this is not true, because Narendra Modi has kidnapped my son. Um, and this guy 
this man is actually so has to be innocent because he wrote me an earnest email saying that maybe the scamming in India has reached such proportions that it's like political and maybe Narendra Modi has his son and if you could look into that. And um, so, yes, so people send me leads all the time. Um, and because I like now write about scams, I've just like entered that world. So a lot of times people just need my help. So once a week, I have to go to a police station or a court or talk to some lawyer to get people's cases registered, to get people's cases moving. And while I do that, I hear more from police, lawyers, um, magistrates, or like just like the people who are, who are scamming, who are being scammed. So I have I have many stories. I'm trying to wrap my mind around this right now. I mean, so basically what you're describing is like a journalist come detective agency, basically, right? I mean, like one thing has led to uh, a whole litany of cases, tips, scams, fraudsters, victims, and so on. Yes. And so one of the most impressive elements of the exposés you've already published, and I want to hear about some that you haven't, you know, is how well researched they are, how well documented, how well sourced they are. I mean, how long does one of these typical investigations last? It depends on the story. It could be just taken me anywhere from a week, a month, a year. It um, Sometimes I've had to enter the story, like with the job scam. They're so common and they're so commonly reported that I wanted to do something deeper. So I disguised myself as a job seeker. Um, and I just like, you know, tie my head in a ponytail and take a backpack and just like travel in the metro to remote placement centers to get, do interviews and then land at call centers to find a job. Um, so that took me a whole like that took me as long as it takes someone to find a job in Delhi. And so that was long. Um, in other cases, you have to find something that's missing, whether it's a person or a house or a paper. So then that takes as much as it takes. Um, so it can take months. Um, because I cover a lot of crime, not just scams, I also cover rapes and murders and you name it. Um, most crime reporting is investigative reporting because if you want to do, if you want to build a narrative around a crime, then you really have to tell people everything. You know, if someone, um, for example, bought two bags when they only had to stuff one dead body into a bag, then you have to find out why they bought two bags, as I have. Um, so that takes like you, so you have to do your own investigation that the, so that to find answers that the police doesn't have, um, the witnesses don't have the you know the like the minor and major players in the story don't have victims don't have their families don't have, so I like you know I just become better at it with every crime story. So you know your reporting by definition, relies on earning the trust of people who are prepared to tell you all kinds of things about sordid activities, illegal activities, um, frankly, sometimes unbelievable activities. You know, give, so the, um, you know, I'm not a journalist, and most people listening to this podcast aren't journalists. Tell us about some of the tricks of the trade. You know, how do you as an outsider who is a probing reporter, because that's what good reporters do, they probe, how do you develop the trust and cooperation of these people who are talking to you? Well, going back to crime reporting, because I talk a lot to criminals besides talking to the police and talking to victims and um, talking to witnesses, you, you you can't ask someone how they perpetrated a great crime. You have to connect with them at the level of a human being. And I think only rarely do I find people with whom I can't find a connection. Um, to give an example, I have written about a woman who has murdered a man. 
um, and in 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 the worst kind of way. It's a, it's a really horrific it's a really horrific story. But when I um, spent I spent some months trying to cover her story, and then I went back to where she was from and met her parents. And it turns out that she and I had something in common. We both grew up middle class in a small town in this government service family, and like we're both oppressed by our options, um, and chose different ways in which to break out. Um, and I and I spoke to her about it, and she she felt that I I knew her in some way, so that made her open up. Um, in another murder case that I that I'm still following, I really want to talk to the murderer, but she won't speak to me because she doesn't trust the media um, because it has been very sexist. And so I go hearing after hearing, like I've attended a year of hearings in that case, and like it's only now that. Um, she started smiling at me in courtroom. And I know that it'll be some time before she grants me that interview in jail. But it's like you just have to persist and people will come around. So if I'm not mistaken, you grew up in Ranchi in Jharkhand. Yes. Is that right? And, and so that has given you, you think, special insight. I mean, it certainly did with your book Dreamers, right? Because there you're profiling people who are from a lot of these tier two, tier three towns and cities, right? Who um, were not people of and from, you know, urban metros. And so do you think as a journalist that gives you a kind of leg up, especially as somebody who's trying to get deep into a case that may happen in a small town in Haryana or in Jharkhand or in UP, because in some sense you can relate to their upbringing and their life story? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a huge advantage for me, and I um, and I always like make the most of it from speaking the language to um, really speak like knowing the world from it from where they come. But it's not just that. I I have um, I have I remember I once had a long conversation with the wife of a Gaurakshaka yeah. Gaur, um vigilante. Detective. Yeah, vigilante, and she and I had very little in common. Very little. I mean, you can only imagine. So we, she was just telling me about her husband. And I genuinely felt that some of what she was saying, I hope my husband's not listening to this podcast. I, I related to that. Sometimes you don't know this man that you've, you've married. Um, so I... So I remember telling her... This is going to create waves for entirely different reasons from what I so, thought. So I remember telling her at some point that, you know, listen, husbands can be strange people and I, I get you. And that, that really connected us. And I think that what she said about her husband's motivation um, behind being a Gaurakshak really was the best part of that story. And so many people related to that. So I want to start... Let's get into one of these scams. I want to ask you about a truly insane piece because there's no other word to describe it. You wrote back in May with Lina Dankar and the HT on a horrific insurance scam in Haryana. And I, I want you to correct me if I've gotten anything wrong because this is incredibly complicated. I had to write down an entire paragraph and I'm going to read it now. There was a gang in Haryana, which borders Delhi, that purchased information about terminally ill cancer patients of a major hospital. This gang then colluded with family members of the cancer patients to take out lucrative insurance policies before their actual deaths. Then the gang, in cahoots, often with the family, bought off the police to make these patients' deaths look accidental. They were cancer patients, but they made them uh, suffer, quote-unquote, from accidental deaths so that they could win serious insurance payoffs. Then the gang, to close the circle, bribed their way through medical examiners, insurance agents, 
even the police and public prosecutors to keep their mouths shut. Is that, in essence, did I get that right? You got that right. Just one um, small addition, which is that it wasn't often with the family, but always with collusion, in collusion with the family, because the family's um, cooperation was central to this. Because the families knew that their relatives were terminally cancer patients. Yes, and had to fill forms and sign. And just to, just to, to illustrate this a little bit more, um, what were some of the debts that these guys were making up? Like, they would say they were what? They were hit by cars, they were bludgeoned to them. I mean, what were some of the... In most cases, there were um, road accidents, or we call hit-and-run accidents. So in case after case, there was the same... Um, like the same words were used to describe these deaths. You know, a farmer goes to a village to buy a buffalo, um, and then when he's coming back, he is hit from the behind by a car, and then he he falls on the ground immediately, and then the the car, which remains unidentified, um, just speeds away, and the driver remains unseen, etc. So how the hell did you break the story into the open? Um, it was a lead. It came from... Um, an HD journalist, he who who saw it being, um, who saw it reported in a Hindi newspaper, and then forwarded the 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 clipping to the editor in chief, who then asked me to follow up. But like I said, like I I get receive a lot of leads from colleagues, readers, random people, bosses, um, because people don't know that I like these stories. Um, how I wrote or reported a story with my colleague is, because um, again, it's boring work. The more thrilling a story is to read, the more tedious it has been to report it. And, um, you know, we read that small story in Danny Bhaskar, but we realized that the families were at the center of it. So we went to each of these villages, or to some of these villages, to find the families which um, who had colluded with the insurance, um, the insurance scammers. And, like, some of them had already you know, shut their houses and, and run away. So to actually find people to, um, and then to trace the whole, trace the whole like journey of the scam from the, the, the department at the government hospitals from where the records of terminally ill patients went missing to the spots of the hit and run accidents to, um, you know, to going through like, hundreds of post-mortem reports to find the exact ways in which the the, the medical officers had, um, you know, not done their duty or colluded with the, the scammers. So it's, it was like days and days of very boring work, but work, th- th- this kind of work is boring. I remember once I called up a police officer in Madhya Pradesh on the phone several times to ask him to describe the tree under which he'd found um, human bones. And he was just like, you know, madam, I have so much work. And, like, he's as burdened as any, um, you know, brutal police officer. But I was like, it's very important to me. So um, sometimes people, like, just hang up on you and they don't want to keep, like, engaging with you. But, like, a lot of times, most times, people understand that something is important to you and they um, they kind of, they'll help you. Like, I, in the insurance scam story, I remember there was a private investigator who was hired by one of the insurance agencies to um, find out what was going on. And that's how the scam broke. Um, And he had gone missing because he feared for his life. So one of the crucial things that Lena and I did was to find this guy in Haryana and to win his trust. And after that, everything just like fell into place. So 
forgive me if this is kind of a personal question, but I mean, it, it, it has to be sort of asked, which is, you know, uh, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes right now. And some of this is really not, I mean, this is like Hollywood, you know, movie, Netflix special series type stuff. And it's yes. pretty gruesome and it's pretty, um, twisted. Um, and you know, uh, I could even see someone suffering from a kind of like post-traumatic stress, you know, from these kinds of really nasty operations. I mean, does this stuff kind of weigh on you? I mean, you, when you're getting inside of these things, like ordinary people can do really horrible things. Like, does do you lose sleep at night? No, I think I just, uh, I try to help people as much as I can just to make up for the bad things that have that have happened to them. And earlier I didn't used to. I was like, you know, my job's done, I'm going home. But like more and more, if someone keeps contacting me and saying, listen, uh, because I've realized reporting on crime for many years now that like India's legal system is totally broken. Um, and the ways in which everyone suffers, including criminals, is, is heartbreaking. So, um, so that gives me a sense of like, you know, having done some good you're kind of paying it forward. Yeah, way. and that's like that 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 now keeps me going. Let me ask you about another category of scams known as fake job scams. Your analysis published again in the Hindu Sun Times uh, of media coverage between September 2016 and September 2017, so one year period, found 140 job scams reported from 35 different cities across India, from Delhi to Kochi. Only half of the, these news reports included the number of victims, but uh, together they add up to 30,000 people uh, who were scammed. These are kind of crazy numbers, but, but tell us first, what is a fake job scam? Well, there is no such thing as the fake job scam because there are so many kinds, but um, basically it's a scam in which you're promised a job that A, does not exist, or, or you are not going to get um, and you, you know, you've paid money for it. So it can be something as simple and as common as someone, um, someone sitting outside the railway ministry or the railway department and luring people in with saying that, oh, hey, I have a job for you. And then they actually have access to meeting rooms in railway ministry where they have held meetings disguised as senior recruitment officers and given people appointment letters. And obviously the, the job seeker will realize in the end that, He'll show up to work and then he'll realize that it's not it's not like he didn't get the job, but he has paid money for it. It can be very sophisticated too. It can be it can involve um running a whole jobs website, like running a monster or knockley.com with like proper um like names of companies and positions and salaries and um HR the numbers of HR executives. Um it can involve running a whole call center where People call um, numbers off a list and just like go on asking, do you want a job or a job change? And if you do, then you will say, sure, I do. I would like a job. And then they'll take you to a website where you will have to uh, pay a certain amount, 5,000 rupees for a registration. And then another 15,000 to like, you know, really brush up your CV and your interview skills. And then the job is like almost yours in a week. Uh, and then you show up at like Infosys or TCS or Mahindra and then that job is not either not there or it's not yours. But you've paid um, anywhere between rupees 5,000 to rupees 5 lakh. So like from someone who wants a railway peon job to someone who's a CEO who wants a better, like, you know, salary package, so many people are scammed every day. 
So tell us about the story of Deepika Chadda. She was a 19-year-old college student who was looking for a job, innocently set up a jobs profile on the popular job site monster.com. What happened to Deepika after that? Deepika uploaded her CV on Monster, Nokri, Shine. And these are, I mean, legitimate. legitimate. We all know, even you know, in the States, what Monster.com is. Yes. Um, she's just a college student. She hadn't even, like, um, graduated yet. So she was like, let me do this and see where it goes. Um, and then she wakes up the next day and she has dozens of emails in her inbox offering her immediate jobs with lucrative salary and... Um, you know, series of incentives and um, international and global and lots of like options for career growth. These are like literal words in the in those emails. Uh, at the bottom of each of these emails, there is a line says, um, that says, call this number. And then she calls this number and then she's invited to uh, a placement agency somewhere in Delhi. She goes to the placement agency. She goes through an interview um, and she's told that she's like the ideal candidate for an international call center job that she can begin from the next week. But all she has to do is pay some thousands of rupees and um, and then follow more directions that will show up on on her phone as form of uh, in the form of text message. So the text message, another text message comes. She goes to a training center in another part of Delhi, attends a day's training in how to um, work at a call center, but basically it's like just training in some English language and some like motivational um, pepping up. And she pays another few thousand rupees and then waits for another text message, which comes in a few days. And then she's invited to a, a, the actual site of the job, this call center in another part of Delhi. She goes again once. Um, she goes once again earnestly to this call center for the to take the job that's supposed to be hers, and then she begins. Um, oh well, she doesn't begin making calls. She first attends a training, training, um, training process for this job where she's handed a script, and her script begins with that line: "Do you want a job or a job change?" So she memorizes the whole thing. She's supposed to take the um, the person on the line through a registration process and like take some money from him and then like lead him or her on to the next person in the process who will who will offer them um, a, a, a glamorous CV or better interview skills for a job at Infosys or TCS or Mahindra or with the government. And um, at some point she realizes, she asks someone if it's a scam and she realizes that, and she's told clearly that it is. Um, and she's, she's, you know, she's welcome to stay on or, or to leave. And then she thinks, sure, maybe let me give this four months since like everyone's making so much money here. I might as well make um, a few lakhs and then figure out an, an honest option. So she confronts this whole idea of it being a scam and, and embraces it in a sense, because why not make the most out of a bad situation? Well, she had been a victim. She would have been a victim of a job scam if she didn't take this job because she's already paid money for this job. Um, so it's like she just figures out that she it's better if she actually ends up on the other side, which is to scam other people um, by promising them jobs that don't exist rather than being a victim. You've also uncovered an entire cheating industry in the world of school examinations. Back in 2008, you wrote about the small town of Koshambi in eastern Uttar Pradesh, where over a five-year period, thousands and thousands of students flooded into this town from all over North India for four weeks every year to cheat their way through board exams. These are certification exams that are commonplace. You hear about them, see about them all the time in India. 
What was going on in this town of Koshambi to make it a haven for school exam cheaters? East, Eastern UP, it's like a primary education nightmare. The, there, are, there are schools that um, that still don't have buildings. There are no, like, no one has ever showed up in the schools, neither the teachers nor the students, but they keep running on paper. So it just, um, it's just very convenient for someone to run um, like a cheat, like an exam cheating operation from there because there are no systems in these schools. And like also everyone in this town knows what's going on. So it's like, it's a very, um, it was a very interesting world because everyone knew their jobs and everyone was very good at it. And so, like, people introduced themselves to me as um, as helper, or they had, like, these jargons for what their roles were in the process. And it's one of the things where, you know, you didn't have to, there was nothing to investigate. Everyone just, like, spoke openly about what their role was, whether they offered their shops or homes to these students who had come for cheating, or these teachers who made some extra money by passing on cues and passing on um, solutions, like exam answers to the students. And like the whole town ran on like the, or the Dhabawalas who said, you know, you know, you make 4,000 a day and then you start making 40,000 a day. And so who, who's going to complain? And um, so everyone was happy, everyone was chill. And then suddenly, you know, the CCTVs were introduced and the government made it harder to um, to run cheating in the in the exams. And so, like, the town's economy had collapsed when I went there. So, I mean, you know, we think of, we associate cities and places with certain kinds of, of, of industries, right? Um, you know, Kota in Rajasthan is famous for being a kind of coaching academy where you send your kids to who are civil service aspirants. Uh, Gurgaon is, you know, uh, the services or outsourcing or the claim to fame of this place was cheating. Yes. Right? Um, and I just want to, you, you mentioned something about the, after the government caught on to the scheme, cheating declined, uh, this death of the cheating industry, as it's called, created an economic crisis. I just want to quote here from something you wrote that, Every household here, referring to Koshambi, used to rent rooms to the students who came here to cheat in exams. If they didn't have an extra room, they used to clean out their cattle enclosure and accommodate students, charging them 2,000 rupees for a month. So, in other words, if I were to, you know, if I was an um, economics reporter, I mean, this was a productive contributor to GDP of Koshambi. This was, but, but as with other s- stories of scams, especially involving young people, there were people who who did this they 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 worked as i'm forgetting the the term for it, it wasn't solver solver who worked as solver but who were also sitting month after month year after year in railway exams and constable exams and ssc exams and so for them it was just another like side job they didn't see this as something um as like being a crime or as being a scam because they were like this is what everyone does you know you you do this until you find your government job and so this was like one of the most bizarre stories to report but also one of the easiest because like no one really made any attempt to hide what they did i mean it was there in plain sight just waiting for someone to kind of come discover it yes um so i want to step back for a second and ask for your thoughts on what these stories tell us about india more generally um the insurance scam we we talked about earlier in haryana you know, you said, uh, quote, it was an ingenious scam, but also one that relied on the easy corruptibility of people in charge of the lives and debts of poor and illiterate villagers, end quote. And uh, unpack that idea for us a, a bit. You know, 
easy corruptibility, you know, why? India remains a very corrupt um, system at the at the ground level or the lowest level. Um, and I'm sure there are good people, and I've met some of them, but um, the kind of people who are involved in the scam, you know, the, lo- the, the post-mortem doctors at these government hospitals or the or the clerks in these like government hospital government cancer hospital or the the local police station constable who has to register a hit and run report um or the local magistrate in 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 the court these are i mean i don't want to make a controversial statement but it's 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 very common to find that these people can be bribed um or or that um they don't like again they don't see that as something so egregious it's, it's like you know just like part of the job it's um but also like the the there was a kind of a robin robin kind of scam because the people who were at the center of it were the families and they who were the cheating they were cheating these insurance agencies and who hasn't felt a little betrayed by an insurance company. And right. so like a lot of readers wrote back to me saying, what's so wrong about, what's so wrong about this scam? Uh, they've cheated us and now they got a taste of their own medicine. Yes. Um, and that's like the broad idea that interested me in this scam because I, I, I grew up thinking that um, corruption travels. I also grew up in a, a government um, administration family. I always thought the corruption tra- travels from top to bottom um, because my father found it so difficult as an honest officer to um, to just survive. Um, and everything was like, so everything was broken. Like the roads never got built. The um, hospitals charged poor people money for medicines that were supposed to be free. You know, the, the grains that were supposed to be given by the the public distributors, like never really reached the beneficiaries. So I, you know, I had a very warped sense of what things are like on the ground. But um, as a journalist, I found I found more and more that it's like, you know, the, the whole course is reversing a little bit because um, the if you read the front pages of the newspaper, it's always like Rafael scam or some defense deal or some spectrum scam or something. But if you actually flip that page, um, and start reading the the fourth page and the fifth page and thirteenth and the fourteenth page. You'll you'll find you'll find them stuffed with like tiny stories of scams, um, ordinary scams like scams like perpetrated by ordinary people against ordinary people, but in sometimes extraordinary ways. Um, there was a scam reported the other day at a um, local newspaper in um, in Rajasthan, and it like involved. An engineering student who was running a Make in India scam. So it was a scam, and he he created a website that imitated the Make in India website, and he was he was selling um, fake. The Make in India web uh, the scheme, just for those who don't aren't initiated, is the flagship uh, Modi government scheme to build a manufacturing base in India. That's kind of for the twenty first century. Yeah. So he was he, he was selling people fake solar panels so they could start something around it. Uh, and then the, those solar panels didn't exist, but he was scamming people in the name of the government. I I read a report the other day that said that like you know the top three banks, SBI, I think ICICI and HDFC have have recorded unprecedented um, fraud over the last three years. And like people always only focus on the Vijay Malayas and the Nirav Modi's. But like I have met so many people who have told me 
amazing things that they've done to secure loans and then not repay them or um you know this scam where uh, you know this is, so the state government launched a scheme as part of which the farmers and agricultural mainly farmers could take loans from state banks to buy um tractors jcb tractors and um it seems simple except that like you know now hundreds of those tractors if not more have been bought and their theft have been registered and they've all been like um they've all been sold to the <laughs> in a different state and the farmers have benefited but the you know the insurance companies have been cheated the government the, those government banks have been cheated the the policy makers who 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 said this in motion have been um cheated and like there are endless endless ways in which um people are finding um you know matrimonial dating and matrimonial scams just like the job scams people are starting these websites for dating and for marriage where everyone wants to everyone wants so many people in india want sex and love and marriage and so many people have understood that so it is a dating website and it's not it looks like an average dating website but you can pay just slightly some amount of money to be set up with someone more like you or more attractive to you and you pay that money but that person doesn't materialize um like this i covered this scam in which this woman was running a fake escorts website because she was offering sex and she was taking money but these escorts never existed so from fake escorts to fake solar panels to you know tractor scams and like fake gold brick scams you i i have a box full of these things Is it your belief that scams of the kind that we've been talking about and several others that I'm sure we haven't talked about um these things you've been uncovering have they been growing in intensity is that your sense is that there's something about the state of the economy the state of our uh, the government the state of um I don't know people's own aspirations perhaps I mean um and if they have been growing in intensity why do you think that's the case Well of course everyone wants to do better than they were doing they have fewer options for that to make that happen um there's internet and that's like a like a huge huge intervention because that creates a separation between the buyer and the seller presumably yeah. right i mean so um uh you're exchanging emails with people and next thing you know they're asking for a little bit of money and you never see them you just doesn't require any human interface. Exactly. So like in Nigeria, I've met people in India who once they have the internet, they'll run all kinds of scams. It's not like they're job scammers or tech support scammers. They'll run job scams, tech support scam, travel scam, audition scam, um, you know, degree scam, NGO scam. So it's like, you know, you it's a it, it's like, you know, I I was reading this book about Nigerian scams where in which millions of young people are involved and they they go to offices and they have um they have meetings with like funders and donors and they have like the meetings with like people in the government who make things happen and for a lot of them these this is that's the only definition of a job and i have met i'm meeting similar kinds of like people here for whom like it's like going to an office starting off with like you know thinking of a new idea working on that new idea finding people who'll find like networking meetings etc so it's it's the same kind of we are reaching a same kind of level So Snigda you have your box full of scams you have probably more than you can uh uh handle what's next what are you going to do with this box full of scams I think I can um I hope that a book comes out of it I just don't know if it'll be about one scam or it'll be about um you know it'd be a book full of scams That's... I mean what's so interesting about all of these things if you step back and think about the common threads is 
Um, you know, it's something about the marketplace. It's something about the rise of technology. It's something about uh, the role of the state. It's something about um, the demographic, dip, so-called demographic dividend, right? That people have thought that this huge uh, bulge in the youth population, I mean, this is what your first book was about, would lead to all kinds of positive things that would create a virtuous uh, cycle. In fact, perhaps it's 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 creating the opposite. I mean, in some sense, it's a microcosm of this particular moment in India's political economy that ha- this is like one of those unintended, unanticipated consequences. Yes, people have people have referred to their scamming as their own freedom fight. Their their fight to like break out of whatever it is that trapped them. I, I just to end. I remember there was a character in your book. I think his name was Muhammad Azhar, yes. who was an aspiring model, if yes. I'm not mistaken, in Jharkhand. Yes. Who, um, as I recall, was a sort of genuine guy who tried to make it big, ended up being scammed, and then decided to switch sides and become yes. a scamster himself. himself. And that seems to be a common thread in this story, to the point where people have decided, like, if you can't beat them, join them. Right, yes. um, because presumably they don't see following the straight and narrow as a path to success, prosperity, stability, so on. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as I said in the email, I mean, the, if it is true that the state and the market are leaving the community behind in India, then it's like it's it's a way for the community to catch up. Uh, Snigda's book is called Dreamers, How Young Indians Are Changing the World. We'll link to the show page on many of these scams uh, that she's uh, written about. Um, and Snigda, thanks for coming back onto the show and look forward. Can't, I'm not sure if I look forward to reading about more scams, but um, extremely interested in, in what you do next. And um, best of luck on, on researching for the next book. Thank you. Grant Masha is a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the Hindustan Times. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. It helps others find the show more easily. For more information about the show and to find the writing we referenced on this week's episode, visit our website, granthamasha.com. Production assistance comes from Megan Maxwell and Rachel Osnos. Tim Martin is our audio engineer and Lauren Dueck is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and see you next week.